Well, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord today. We're uh, continuing on in Luke chapter 6, going through the Beatitudes. Um, We're going to be looking at verse 21 and 25 today, the second half of each verse, Luke 6, 21b and 25b. And so I think think it'll be appropriate to just have a quick review uh, for those maybe who haven't been here, because these Beatitudes really, they tie together. They tie together. It really starts out with the first one. And um, so a little bit about the Beatitudes. Obviously, this is another... Whether it's the exact same sermon that's in Matthew chapter 5-7, through 7, the sermon we know is the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody knows for sure. could be. could be just a shortened version of it. But we see some of the same Beatitudes at the beginning. There's not as many in Luke as there are in Matthew, but they're the Beatitudes nonetheless. And the first one that we looked at a couple weeks ago is so important. Keep coming back to the first one. And, um, and it's this in Luke. 620. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read verses 20 through 26 for us today. It's just a picture of the Beatitudes and then, and then have a quick review. And verse 20 says, Turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men... When All men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. I'm going to pray for us real quickly. Father, we, again, we come before you, before your glorious throne today, and we just ask that you would meet with us today through your spirit and your word. Father, help me to clearly teach your people what you would have us to know. God, may your word not only uh, affect our, our, our intellect, Lord, but our hearts even more so, God, that the word would have a a sanctifying effect in each one of our lives, Father. We just pray that that Christ Jesus will be glorified today, God. We ask it in His name. Amen. So in in verse 20 that we looked at a a couple weeks ago, he starts out by saying, Blessed are you who who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And of course, we looked at Matthew's account. Matthew gives a little more light what, what he's referring to. These are all spiritual statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven is the way Matthew phrased it. And so we talked about that word blessed. What it means, it means happy. But it's not a superficial happy like, like the world uses it. It's a, it's a spiritual well-being. That's, that's what it is. That really circumstances in this life does not affect deep down, right? I, I used the example a, a, a couple weeks in a row that because that's where my mind goes. Sports. Justin played a little college football, so he'd, he would understand that. Your favorite team loses. Yeah, you may be disappointed, but it's not going to devastate you. It's not going to affect your spiritual well-being. That, that word happy, that's this, that's this word. It's a, it's a blessedness because your sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whom, whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's the word. So when he uses that word blessed, that's what it means. It's a spiritual statement. That we're happy. We're joyful. 
Because our names are written in heaven. And he says, blessed are you who are poor. Again, Matthew clarifies it. Poor in spirit. Remember the poor in spirit, guys. It's the picture of the person being saved. It's a picture of the person coming into the kingdom. That's what all this is. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours and yours alone. That emphatic pronoun. So, so poor in spirit, is, it's the person not only in the kingdom, those who are Christians, we are now poor in spirit. We recognize that we're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. Think of that as compared to the world. Now, I'm a good person. See, when we're made poor in spirit, we finally see the truth. We finally see what the Bible is literally screaming at us. You're not good. None are good. I'm a wretch. I need a Savior. And so we enter the kingdom of heaven being made poor in spirit. And, um, and everything flows after that. Remember last week? Blessed are those who hunger now. For you shall be satisfied to hunger. The person who realizes they lack righteousness. What? That's what we begin. Matthew, again, clarifies it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't know about you guys. Now, some of you were converted at a young age, so there's not maybe that distinction. But those of us who were converted a little later in life, before my conversion, I didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. I hungered and thirsted for iniquity, like Job says in the book of Job. No, I thirsted for more iniquity. It was all about myself. But when God saves us, we begin to, when God begins to, the Holy Spirit begins to show us our sin, we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then we come into the kingdom, that never goes away. Even, remember we talked about last week. Even though we're satisfied, he says, blessed are you who hunger for you shall be satisfied. We're satisfied in Christ now. Right? Our sins have been forgiven. I'm no longer searching for what my meaning is in life. Christ has saved me. I'm satisfied. But it's that already not yet. We're still in this life. Someday we'll be fully satisfied. But in this life we continue to hunger for more. Right? Oh, if I could just be more like Christ. Oh, if I could just, you know, if, if I just didn't have this indwelling sin that causes me to say like the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. I hate sin now. But that's, that's because of the work of the Spirit. We now hunger. Because in both of those, as we'll see today, there's a, there's a contrast to that, right? But woe to you who are rich now, who think you have it all, who think that I don't need your Jesus. I've got everything I need, right? I'm self-righteous. I don't hunger now. Why would I hunger after righteousness? When I am righteous. See, woe to that man, woe to that woman who think you're in, not in need of Christ, that judgment's coming and it's going to be a terrible thing. You will, you will, uh, you will be hungry for all eternity. You'll be, you'll be thirsting, right? After righteousness. Not, not, not after righteousness, but you, you'll be thirsting for the torment to stop. Just one drink of water. That's the meaning here. Oh, it's a blessed thing when we thirst for Christ now. We'll be satisfied. But those who think don't see their need for Christ, they're going to be thirsting, obviously, for something different. They're not going to be thirsting for righteousness, not even in, in hell. But there will be a thirst there. So that's, that's the blessedness, right? The blessed versus the woe. And today we see in verse 21, our text is, the third beatitude, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. 
Verse 25b, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And so that's the one, one thing about Luke's Beatitudes that has those woe verses in them that Matthew's account does not have. So three things on your bulletin today that we're going to look about with this weeping. Again, in Matthew's Gospel, he uses the word mourning, but the, the meaning is the same. Um, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So, first thing we're going to talk about is it's a certain kind of weeping. So maybe, you know, I, I, did, I had it phrased as a question, like what kind of weeping he's referring to. But we're going to look at it at the fact that it is a certain kind of weeping that Jesus is talking about. So, a few different ways that we could think of weeping. Uh, you know, I think of uh, back to football when I was a kid. Growing up in the mid-80s, OU was really good back then. They lost three games in three years, all to the same team, Miami. And so the first year they lost to them, the second year, you know, they were ranked number one and two. And I, I just remember that day, it stuck, it stuck to me. I was like in the sixth grade and Miami beat them again. So I was out in my front yard with my football just weeping. <laughs> I mean, like if my neighbor saw me, they'd be like, is that, he must be getting abused because it wasn't just weeping. I was just like out of control. My sinners lost again. And I remember my mom that day. It stuck with me. <laughs> Even before I was saved, but I think about this. She goes, it's just a game. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and, so, but, and so there's a kind of weeping, right? Very, super, you know, very, um, not superficial, trivial, right? We weep. You know, hopefully, hopefully you grown men don't weep when your team loses too bad. <laughs> But that would be kind of a... It was a genuine weeping, but it was more trivial. It was, over a, it was over a game. How many of you guys weep when you're watching a movie? You know, maybe a good movie. Maybe things that are truly worth... I mean, I admit, I do sometimes. But there's a person in here... You ever watch a movie with my wife? If it's a serious movie at all, you're going to look over her. Our kid used to make fun of her because she's always weeping. <laughs> now again, I, 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 I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I weep in a movie probably more than a lot of women. But that's just another kind of weeping. Maybe not as trivial as a, as a game, because some movies you watch, I mean, it can really stir your emotions um, with something very sad. And, and so maybe, maybe not quite as trivial. What about a broken relationship? Most of us have probably had those in our, in our life. Okay, that, That's not quite as trivial. God made us as emotional beings. And so the loss of a... You know, you're in a relationship. It could be any type of relationship, right? I mean, somebody maybe you're dating, those type of things, uh, or just a friendship, whatever. That Again, we're, there's real genuine mourning and weeping. Not as trivial as uh, the college football game, but it's still not what Jesus is talking about here. And then, and then obviously, we've all probably experienced this, the loss of a loved one. Obviously, that's a, I mean, that's a very proper time to weep. We look, we lose a loved one. So again, we can see these different types of weeping, some more serious than others. But before we look at what Jesus is talking about, you know, there's also improper or sinful, maybe weeping for sinful reasons. Um, rather than bringing up an example of that, there's an example in Scripture that I want to share with you real quick. You don't have to turn there, but Second Samuel chapter 13. If any of you guys remember this individual, his name was Amnon. He was one of the sons of King David. Okay? You can read in that chapter where he's depressed. And it says he was mourning. 
He was mourning, he was weeping literally morning after morning. He was mourning, morning after morning. Why was he depressed? Because of his unfulfilled lust towards his half-sister. That's why. Tamar. And so he had a friend named Jonadab. The Bible says he was a shrewd man. And they, they came up with a scheme. Amnon pretended to be sick, pretended to be ill. Asked his father David to send his sister Tamar to help him. And eventually, he convinces her to come back to his bedroom where he rapes her. Says he was mourning. <laughs> that, would, that, that would be an example of uh, a very improper, even sinful reason to mourn. So we see these different ways that we can mourn, right? There's all kinds of even proper mourning in the Scriptures. Proper mourning. Abraham mourning the death of Sarah in Genesis chapter 23. The Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 mourning the fact that this would be the last time they saw the beloved Apostle Paul. And it says they were mourning. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus mourned at the death of His friend Lazarus. So these are, these are proper times to mourn, mourn church, but none of these are what Jesus is referring to here in this text where He says, Blessed are you who weep now. So, so how do we know what He is referring to? Well, go back to the first beatitude. When we're made poor in spirit, okay? When a person is made poor in spirit, what begins to happen then? When we are made poor in spirit, what begins to happen in a person's life? And understand this, when we're talking about weeping, guys, it doesn't, he's not even saying there has to be an outward like weeping where there's tears coming. It's a mourning on the inside. It's a weeping on the inside. And, and so what begins to happen at that time? What do we begin, what do we begin to mourn over? Our sin. We begin to weep over our sin for the first time in our life because we see sin for what it really is. It's, 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 it's David's language in, in Psalm 54 where he's, he's confessing his sin. And he says, against you, God, against you only, ha have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we are made poor in spirit, when we are converted, when we are brought into the kingdom, we now have eyes to see that our sin is against our holy God, who now we love. Our sin is what Christ died on the cross for. And what does it do? It grieves us. We, we begin to detest our sin. We begin to weep over the fact that we still have to deal with this thing called sin in our life. And so that's the, that's the kind of weeping, the kind of mourning that he's talking about. Listen to what John Calvin says about this. He says, those who mourn are closely related to, or even better described, joined at the hip of those who are poor in spirit. You can't separate them. If you're poor in spirit, it's because God has made you poor in spirit. And you realize, Lord, I am bankrupt spiritually. I have nothing good to offer you. Oh, but you have sent your son, and now you have... Forgiven me for my sin. You have saved me. I'm born again now. I'm born of your Spirit. And now we begin to think like God about our own sin. And so we begin to mourn. That's why it's such a disturbing thing. And red flags should be going off everywhere for an individual to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I love Christ. But they live in a habitual lifestyle of sin. 
Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, no, you're not, you're deceived. John would say in the epistle of John, no, those who practice sin are not born of God. And so we begin to mourn over our sin. We hear the language in 2 Corinthians 7.10, this, this sorrow that Paul talks about with genuine repentance, genuine conversion. He says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. That word sorrow, guys, it has the idea, it's a sorrow of someone who is mourning. That's what the word sorrow means. It's the sorrow that is a result of someone who is mourning. And so we have two different kinds of sorrow in this verse. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces what? A repentance without regret. Remember I told you guys two weeks ago we talked about being poor in spirit? It's just talking about when, when God grants us repentance. We come into the kingdom. We're, we're, we have a genuine grief or sorrow over our sin that comes with repentance that he says leads to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What kind of sorrow is that? What kind of, what kind of sorrow, weeping would that be? Think of your little, maybe when you're raising kids and they get caught and dad's coming home. Yeah, there may be some weeping going on, but it's because, and it could be an adult too, right? We, we're mourning, we're weeping. Why? Because we got caught. Now we've got to face the consequences. It's not because we now hate our sin. That's the different, that's the world's sorrow. You're sorry because you, ha- you got caught, not because you have sinned against God. And so that's, that's this word. That, that's, what he, that's what he's talking about here. Blessed are you who weep. We see our sin for what it is. Finally. Aren't you thankful you can see your sin for what it is? I mean, I had a lady tell me the other day that she's never lied and that she's, she was born perfect. I mean, what deception is that? What utter sin blinds. The, the devil blinds. Our, our self-righteousness blinds. But beloved, the fact that we can see our sin for what it is, oh, don't take that for granted. That's a gift from the Lord. And it grieves us. It grieves us. And you know what? The the same as what we looked at last week. You know, we're made poor in spirit, but we continue to be poor in spirit. We, we, We hunger for righteousness. God saves us. And then we continue to hunger. And it's the same thing with this. We weep, we mourn over our sin, but it's not just that conversion, right? It's not just that conversion. It continues. That was the language of Paul in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. He sees his sin. He's in a battle with sin. The Christian is in a war against sin. You think of Paul's language of his, when he spoke about his, his former life. You didn't hear any of that language. You heard, about, you heard a, a, a man who was proud before his conversion. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the Pharisee, right, that we looked at in Luke 18 that we talked about. God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. I'm such a good, religious, holy man. You must be impressed with me, Lord, but when we're saved. You know, the holier a man becomes, the more we see our sin. I mean, I can testify that from experience. The closer I get to Christ, the more God shows me my sin. And although we are being made more like Christ, He just shows us our sin. This, in this, this deal, what we call sanctification. 
In, in similar language in, in 1 John 1, 9, you don't have to turn there, but that's the, that's the verse where John says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, did you know that that verse, more than anything, is describing what a Christian does? It's describing what a Christian is like. It's not saying that if you have trusted Christ, right, He has paid for your sin on the, on the cross and you forget to confess your sins, well, then you're not forgiven any longer. That's not what it's saying. It's describing what a Christian does. John MacArthur says it best. I love the way he says this. He says, speaking of that verse, continual confession of sin is an indication of genuine salvation. Confession of sin characterizes genuine Christians. And God continually cleanses those who are confessing. It's the same language. This whole weeping and mourning over sin, that's what 1 John 1.9 is. I don't remember confessing my sin and weeping over my sin as an unconverted man. But that's, it's like that's the evidence that we're weeping, we're mourning over our sin, we're bringing our sin to God because our heart is grieved that we have sinned against You again, Lord. And there's continual forgiveness and cleansing. We weep and we mourn and we confess and we look forward to the day when we don't have this thing called indwelling sin any longer and the unredeemed flesh that we still battle against. Does that make sense? That's the weeping. The daily confession of sin and dealing with our sin and it grieves our hearts because we are born again. And we have a love for Christ. So this first point we see, guys, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. In other words, those who weep like this are those who are in the kingdom. If, if, if you don't have any mourning for sin, if you don't have any grief over your sin, then I would say examine yourself. Because it's very clear. That's what he means. Blessed are you who weep. But secondly, we see, still in verse 21, there's laughter after weeping. There's laughter after, after weeping. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. These people who have been, who have been saved, right? Who have been born again. They are, they, there has been, in a sense, we're now weeping over our sin. In, in, in a sense, especially if you've lived a long life of rebellion towards God, your world, in a sense, has been shaken. You're like, you're distraught. It's like, wow, I thought I was a good person. I remember thinking that at the age of 22. For the first time in my life, I saw how awful and wretched I was. And so we begin to see ourselves, a person who is weeping because they've been converted. We, we begin to see ourselves as Jesus in, in chapter 4 of Luke, verse, verse 18, describing His ministry. Listen to what He says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And guess what? I'm the captive. I never thought of myself as a captive before my conversion. But now I can read that verse and say, oh, I'm the captive. And He says, recovery of sight to the blind. A true Christian can sing Amazing Grace and it makes sense. I once was blind, but now I see. 
We begin to see this. We begin to see, like, like the prophet Nathan told David, you're the man. I'm the man. I was the captive. I was the one who was blind. I'm the wretch the song refers to. I have a shirt that says that. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. We, we now see that's us. Oh, the blinders have been removed. He died for me. You see it? And, and it, there's a happiness that comes with it. Matthew's Gospel, he says, Blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. Luke says, Blessed are you who weep, you shall be happy. We're comforted now, right? By the Comforter Himself who comes and lives on the inside of us. We laugh now. Why do we laugh? It's the joy of being forgiven. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You see, we not only have the truth of the Gospel to share with other people, but we are witnesses. Isn't that beautiful? What is a witness? It's something, somebody who has witnessed something. I have seen Christ. That's why I said the apostles in Acts, either chapter 4, chapter 5, they could not stop preaching the gospel and declaring what great things God has done for us. That's a witness for Christ. That's why we're to open our mouth. That's why nobody has an argument against a saved Christian. We have the truth and we have our testimony. He has saved me. I was blind, but now I see. I was in chains. I was in shackles. I was oppressed by the devil, by my sin, by the lies of the world, but now I am free. That's why you see people being able to be burned at the stake and sing praises to the Lord. It's supernatural. So for the first time in our life, we're truly happy. My sins have been forgiven. Listen to Psalm 30, verse 5. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You know what that verse reminds me of? You know, around the time of Easter, we celebrate Easter and Passion Week, you know. You've probably heard the same just within Christian circles. Yeah, it's Friday. You know, when Christ died, but Sunday's coming. Amen? Sunday's coming. Amen. If it wasn't for the resurrection, none of this would mean anything. We wouldn't be free from our sin. We wouldn't be forgiven for our sin. There would be no happiness. There would be no comfort. But praise God, Sunday was coming and Sunday came. And that's why we meet on Sunday. To celebrate that He is risen. Isaiah 61. What I read earlier. Isaiah 61. I just want to read the first couple verses. Really similar to uh, what Jesus had just said in Luke 4. He's referring to those verses and others. But Luke 61, first couple verses. The spirit, of the, Lord, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. You see, I told, I told somebody that the other day when we were at the bus station. The gospel is good news, but it's only good news to those who believe. Because if not, if you don't believe, it's going to condemn you. The very truth of the gospel. But to the afflicted guys, to those who are humble, to those who are contrite, to those who have been made poor in spirit, it's good news. To bring good news to the afflicted, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty. Freedom. You are free from sin's penalty because of Jesus Christ. You and I are free, if you know Christ, even from the power of sin because of Jesus Christ. And freedom to prisoners. Praise be to God that we're not in shackles any longer, dear friend. Dear church. Dear saint. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And then this last phrase, really to our, to our text today, to comfort all who mourn. Beloved, there is comfort for those who mourn over their sins. There is laughter. There is comfort. Our sins have been forgiven. Our names are written in heaven. How can we not be comforted? How can we not laugh? And how can we not have joy? Remember what Jesus told His disciples? He sent them out, right? He gave them the authority over the demons, over sickness. He gave them the, the authority to heal and cast out demons. And He sent them out. And do you remember when they came back? They were all excited. Oh, Lord, even the demons do what we say. And do you remember what He told them? Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you, but that your name is written in heaven. That's why we rejoice. Nothing compares to it. No amount of money, no amount of fame, everything our hearts could desire in this world, even good things, pales in comparison to the reality that our name is written in heaven. Oh, don't take that for granted, church. Your name is written in heaven. You see, we're able to laugh now with true, genuine, godly laughter. Have true, genuine, godly joy. We're to laugh now. It's not the superficial laughter of the world, right? Sometimes superficial, sometimes even perverted laughter. No, we have genuine laughter because our, our sins are forgiven. It's a question I, I ask people if they'll, if they'll let me. When I knock on their front door and I, I try to always leave a flyer with them. If they, if they answer, I give it to them. If not, I leave it in their door. But if nothing else, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I want, to, I want to leave you with a question to consider. And so that's, that's an unoffensive question, you know, something to say. And they, I can see the curiosity. And I just simply say, are your sins forgiven? Are your sins forgiven? And you'd be surprised the looks you get. Because it's just like, we take it for granted. We talk about it a lot. But you just see the, I hope so. You can see the hopelessness in a lot of it. You know, a young, a young man I talked to yesterday, just by presenting him that statement, he, he literally stepped out the door like, will you tell me more? Guys, our sins are forgiven. There's joy that comes with knowing our name is written in heaven that the world does not have. But we have the answer. Revelation 21.4. You know, in the same way, guys, we talked about last week, right? We Blessed are those who hunger. For righteousness. And the promise is you shall be satisfied. And we're satisfied in Christ, right? But we we continue to hunger. We look forward to that day. It's the same thing. It's the same thing here. We we in this verse, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. There is joy, right? There is comfort, there is laughter because our sins are forgiven, but we continue to weep and mourn, right? 
Because we continue to battle sin. So it's the already not yet. But listen to Revelation 21.4, the promise. The fulfillment of what's awaiting every person who is Christ. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Not just the physical pain we face, but mourning over sin. That day when sin, right? That's the that's the final new heavens and new earth. The verse we read last week, Peter describes it as a place where righteousness dwells. No more sin to deal with. No more mourning. No more weeping over sin. Just eternal comfort and laughter and worship of our God. The celestial city that every Christian is marching towards. The celestial city. So, the certain kind of weeping is a weeping over sin. There is laughter after weeping. And third and last, in verse 25, there is a, the danger of not weeping now. There is a danger in not weeping now. 25b, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. I've used this phrase every time because we see it every time. The tables will be turned in eternity. The tables will be turned. In this case, those who laugh now will weep then. Again, the person who hungers now will be satisfied in Christ. Right? The person who is full now, filled with his own self-righteousness now, he'll be craving even a drop of water in hell to cool his tongue from the agony he's in. And so this we see, 25, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. This is the attitude of so many in our day. So many in the world. This is the attitude of the world. Just a, a smugness about them. Pride. Right? Can you picture it? Try to tell somebody about Jesus Christ and there's just a smugness. It, it's a, it's a, an extreme form of pride and our world is full of it. Our world laughs away their sin. They just laugh at sin. There's no weeping for sin. They laugh at sin. I think Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12 and 13 is a good picture of this kind of person. It says, there is a kind who is pure in his own eyes. There is a kind of person who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There is a kind, the next verse, oh, how lofty are his eyes and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. Do you hear the smugness in that? See, they're actually filthy. They're actually unclean, but they think they're pure. And, he, and then he even describes his eyelids, or his eyelids are raised in arrogance. This is really made evident in a person in this condition when you try to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see the smugness because they think they're self-righteous. There's no weeping for sin. 
Life's a game to them. Right? It's just a game. There's no, no weeping over sin. They just laugh it all off in smugness. They laugh at Christ. Right? They laugh at Jesus Christ. He's the butt of the jokes of this world. And they laugh at His servants and His gospel. The world laughs at Christ. They mock Christ. They mock Christianity. 1 Corinthians 1.18 Paul says, For the word of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross. The message of the gospel. The good news. And everything that goes with it. Dear sir, dear ma'am, you, you're a sinner. You need a Savior. And you see the eyelids go up. You see the smugness. It's foolish. The word literally means moronic. The gospel, there, there's nothing more moronic to this world than, than Jesus Christ and His gospel. And those who would proclaim His gospel. These were, Christians are an irritation to this world, by and large. It's foolish. They, they, the world in general. A person who does not weep now, describing the unbeliever. They mock God and they celebrate sin. Our world doesn't weep over sin. They celebrate sin. Do they not? They celebrate perversion of all kinds. Unimaginable perversion. Our world celebrates perversion. We even have a month for it. Do we not? Pride month. Where they celebrate our world celebrates the most depraved, perverted things that a human being can do. Our world celebrates, like says it's a good thing, that a woman has a right to choose to murder their children. Our world celebrates it. And to speak against it is evil. Right? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You speak out against the murder of children, and you're called evil. You speak out against what God calls an abomination in the area of sexual perversion, and you're called evil. I was called evil last June at a pride event that I was preaching to these dear people trying to beg them to flee God's wrath, that there's hope for them in Christ, and they literally said, your message is evil. That's our world. Our world mocks God. They mock sin. They don't weep for sin. They don't mourn over sin. I saw, I saw a billboard, like one of the electronic billboards, at a place that I, I, always, I, I never... It, it's, it's, at a, it's one of the adult places that I never look towards. And I would advise men and women, don't look to those billboards. But I remember seeing it flashed across the screen. And it's just, again, it's just a picture of this mockery. And it says, Sunday is sin day. Just mocking God. They know what Sunday is, right? They know Sunday is when Christians gather to worship Jesus Christ. But come here. Sunday is sin day. That's our world. There's no weeping for sin. Oh, woe. Woe to you who laugh now. 
for you will weep then. To the Christian, I want to encourage you. Psalm 126 verse 5 is a promise for all of us. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. You hear that? Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. The Christian life is really a life of sowing in tears, is it not? In so many different areas of our life. The very thing we're talking about today. This pursuit of godliness in our, in our personal Christian lives. I mean, it's just a continual sowing of tears. Do you, do you, do you weep over your sin? You don't have to weep outwardly, but there are times, do you? You're, you're so sick of your sin that you literally find yourself weeping, confessing your sin again. The picture of the Christian sowing in tears in your pursuit of godliness, in your pursuit of being a witness for Christ. This applies. You sow in tears, do you not? Does it not feel like sometimes you're just sowing and you have tears on the inside, maybe literal tears that you want this loved one of yours to believe, and you just sow, and you just sow, and you don't see the results. We have people like that in our life that I've been praying for and witnessing to from time to time for 26 years, just sowing in tears, sowing in tears. The promise is, beloved, is that you shall reap with joyful shouting. There's joy. There's joy in eternity. If not here, don't give up. Don't give up. You see, life's a game to them. Life's a game to the world. You know why? Because they're asleep in the dark. They don't understand the judgment that's coming. Life was a game to Noah's, to the people in Noah's day, as you had this crazy guy warning about judgment coming in the form of rain. And they're going, you're nuts. It's never rained. And, and the people do the same thing. You're nuts. Talk about Jesus coming back. He's never came back. Like, like that's logic. Because He's never came back, He won't. Or like saying, I've never died before. That doesn't mean you won't. No, it's a game to them. Because they're asleep. They're blinded. You know, it's our job to warn them. You, know, you want to know what one of your jobs is as a Christian? To warn those God has placed in your life of the reality of death and judgment and sin, but that there's a Savior. Our job is to warn them, and guess what? They don't like it. Which we'll see next week, that leads to the next beatitude. Blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted and ostracized because you're going to feel the pushback of the world. But those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. You know, there's a day that our, that our world celebrates in Mexico that they celebrated just not long ago, the Day of the Dead. A time when families gather to honor and remember deceased loved ones. Okay, that, that doesn't sound too bad. That's all it was. But it is believed that the souls of the dead return to visit the living families in homes, businesses, and cemeteries. Isn't that sad? Beloved, our world is deceived. Right? They're deceived with all kinds of lies. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear what's after death. 
Matter of fact, your loved ones come and they just visit you and see you. Or maybe you'll come back as a, as a, as a frog or a dog. Right? No, that's why part of the, the warning our people and our day is that it is appointed for you to die once. And after that, the judgment. You're going to die one time. And then it's over. And there's a great chasm that those in hell cannot come, cannot go to those who are in heaven, cannot come back to earth. It's, it's death and judgment. It's over. We must communicate them. We must love people enough to warn them of these things. We must love them enough to do it and we must do it in love. To you who laugh now, so to the Christian, like I stated a while ago, the encouragement is to don't give up. Just sow in tears. That's the Christian line. Sow in tears. There's joy coming. Joyful shouting coming for all eternity. But to you who laugh now, James says in James 4, 9-10, through this is to those who laugh now. Maybe you don't weep over sin. Sin's not a big deal to you. You've never experienced this. All of this is foreign to you. You've never repented. You've never grieved over your sin. You've never been grieved in your heart that you've offended a holy God. That your sin put Christ on the cross. That He was wounded for our transgressions. That He suffered and died at the hands of godless men because of us. This is for the person who laughs now. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Sounds like James had listened to the Lord Jesus Christ here. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. That's the message, guys, of the Gospel to the world. Humble yourself, dear friend. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Understand that God is a holy judge. And He will punish your sin because of His justice and His holiness. You need to humble yourself. You need to come to Christ. You need to be willing to bow your knee to Jesus Christ in humility before God crushes you on that day. He was crushed under the wrath of God so you do not have to be. There is hope for you, dear friend. Heed the words of Jesus Christ in closing in Luke 18.14 that everyone who exalts himself the person who exalts himself, church, is the person who laughs now. It's the person who is well fed now. It's the person who is rich now. They exalt themselves because they think they're too good to be damned. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. They will bow the knee. They will confess Christ as Lord. And we must tell them, but if that happens, it's too late for you. Come to Christ now. And Jesus says, but he who humbles himself now will be exalted. Our precious soul, repent and believe on Jesus Christ now. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this simple, God, simple but so profound, profound this truth, Lord, in your word. God, that the tables will be turned. That the tables were even turned in your coming. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. You did not send Your Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. But we know that He's coming the second time not to save, but to judge. Oh, Father, I pray that this would create an urgency in our life. I pray that it would be an encouragement for those who weep now, for those who struggle with sin now, for those who are fighting against their sin, that, that we can laugh, we can, we can have godly laughing, we can be comforted because our, our names are written in heaven, and that one day there will be eternal comfort. There will be no more mourning over sin. Father, we just thank You. Lord, I, I pray that You would encourage Your people Father, who mourn over their sin. And Father, I pray if there's any who, who laugh about it all now, that You will convict them. That You will open their eyes. That You will grant this supernatural, godly sorrow which produces repentance leading to salvation. God, I pray that You would do that. Only You can do it. And we trust You with it, Father. We thank You for saving us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.